But we're not just going to compete here in Utah. We're going to compete in blue states and purple states and red states all across this country. Super Tuesday came and went, and the real winner just may be the state of Utah. Welcome back, Lori. Where are your kids? Lori Vallow takes the stand for the disappearance of her two children. We know that mitigation is what is going to be important moving forward. The many ways coronavirus is impacting the Utah lifestyle. You're listening to the Newsline Review, the show that brings you the weekly roundup of this week's most important news and how they affect your daily life. My name is Matthew Loveland, and I'll be your tour guide today. Lori Vallow makes a court appearance Friday. Her two children have been missing for months. She and her husband fled from Idaho shortly after an investigation got underway. John Lawrence reports. Lori Vallow back in Idaho after waiving extradition from Hawaii. The 46-year-old faces numerous charges, including two felony counts of desertion and non-supportive children. Welcome back, Lori. Where are your kids? 17-year-old Tylee Ryan and 7-year-old Joshua J.J. Vallow were last seen in September. All of the authorities are concerned, and they have said since the beginning back in December that they believe Lori knows and she is deliberately misleading and not telling the truth. The FBI is asking anyone who was at Yellowstone Park on September 8th to turn in their videos and photos that may show J.J. and Ty Lee. Tylee wasn't seen after that day. J.J. was, so it just... It made me very sad. It's uh, a lot of emotions. According to court documents, Vallow asked people to lie to the authorities during the investigation into the disappearances. Bail is set at $5 million. She was asked to present the kids. She didn't do it. The prosecutors are going to say, if you were not uh, concerned about violating that court order, who is to say you're going to return when you're, when you're required to return to court? I'm John Lawrence reporting. The days leading up to and after Super Tuesday have been a Democratic bloodbath. Just before Super Tuesday happened, candidates Pete Buttigieg and Amy Kubluker dropped out and endorsed former Vice President Joe Biden. Funnily enough, Kubluker dropping out less than an hour after a rally in Salt Lake City. In a remarkable turn of events, Joe Biden won many states and hundreds of delegate votes in Super Tuesday elections, moving from fifth in the pack to the front runner. America loves a good underdog story. So I'm here to report! We are very much alive! Bernie Sanders squeaked out wins in California, Utah, and Massachusetts, placing him second to Biden. I tell you with absolute confidence, we are going to win the Democratic nomination, and we are going to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of this country. In the days since Super Tuesday, billionaire candidate Mike Bloomberg dropped out of the race and endorsed Joe Biden. Elizabeth Warren also dropped out of the race and says she is waiting to see who she may endorse. I know what it's like to lose. Feel so desperately that you're right. Yet to fail, nonetheless. The state of Utah makes history on Super Tuesday. The managing editor for Utah Policy, Brian Schott, is here with me now to tell me what makes this year so special. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you? Doing real good. So voter turnout this year throughout the state reached 32.5%, the highest recorded turnout for a standalone presidential primary in the state's history. Why was that versus other years in the past? Well, um, we didn't have a primary in 2016. Uh, The state didn't fund one. So it's not surprising that it got up that high because um, it was one of the first times in recent memory that we've had a primary. I believe in 2012, we actually had a caucus rather than a primary. 
we just don't have the, the primaries that often. They're usually done in caucuses or they're done really late in the cycle uh, in conjunction with the regular primary. But last year in 2019, the legislature decided to fund a presidential primary and put it on Super Tuesday, which was a really good move because, you know, it was early in the process. We actually would have a bit of a say in who the nominee would be for the Democrats. But it was a good move this year to move us into Super Tuesday. We got attention. We got money spent here. We saw a lot of the candidates come here. So overall, it was a really good move. And I think we saw it pay off in terms of the uh, high voter turnout or the relatively high voter turnout. So with kind of all the positive attention and uh, economic effect it generated, does Utah have a continued future as a Super Tuesday state? Well, it depends on what the legislature decides to do. I mean, they're the ones who have to spend the money. This year, it cost three million bucks. Um, You know, hopefully they will do it. Utah was one of the few wins uh, for Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, along with the Democratic crown gem of California. So what are his chances moving forward? Well, as you look at it, it's going to be difficult for him because of the way that the Democrats award their their delegates. Republicans mostly do it winner take all. So if you finish first, you get all the delegates from a certain state. Democrats don't do that. They award them proportionally in, I believe, most, if not all of their contests. For instance, here in the state of Utah, not only are their delegates awarded statewide, but they're also awarded by congressional district. For instance, in the first congressional district, there were two delegates available. But in the fourth congressional district, there were seven. So we had 29 overall. And those were only awarded proportionally. The latest estimates I saw is that Sanders, although he won the state, only pulled 13 delegates out of Utah instead of all 29. Oh my gosh. Going forward, the proportional nature of that means it's going to be very hard for him to make up the gap with uh, Joe, Joe Biden. The problem for Sanders is it's the pro- proportional nature of the way that these delegates are awarded. You have to rack up big wins in order to pull a large number of delegates and maybe make up the difference between himself and Biden. And there's just not a lot of room for him to, to do that. Well, perfect. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Brian. Sure. Anytime. Utah now has a coronavirus task force, and Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox will lead the team. As the governor mentioned, we are beyond containment. We know that mitigation is what is going to be important moving forward. This task force wants a plan in place to deal with an outbreak if it happens in Utah, and this task force would also be in charge of informing the public about the status of the disease in the Beehive State. Mark Jorgensen, the only confirmed coronavirus patient in Utah, says he is receiving death threats. Honestly, some of that fear has gone gone off to a little bit too crazy. In a live video posted on his Facebook page, Jorgensen documents his battle with the coronavirus. He says he received a call from his doctor and that law enforcement needs to meet with him concerning the threats to his life. He also says his wife, Jerry, is not infected and it is very safe to be around her. The Utah Department of Health has set up a coronavirus information desk. They want anyone who suspects that they may have the virus to call the hotline. The Utah Coronavirus Information Line is 1-800-456-7707. The Utah Department of Homeland Security is advising people to stock up on water, food, medication, and to get copies of health records just in case the spread of coronavirus gets worse. I'm telling you, we need a plague. Gotta have it. 
And don't be afraid. It's only gonna, it's only gonna kill the weak. Fear of the coronavirus outbreak has people flocking to stores to stock up on supplies, and now several stores have bare shelves. Provo is densely populated with college students, so it'll be interesting to see how things will turn out if the coronavirus hits Utah. Twenty miles, not enough to go around. School districts have addressed parents regarding the coronavirus and safety measures in plan for a local outbreak. Letters from Salt Lake City and Canyon School Districts say that the districts have been in close contact with the health department for the past several weeks about this very issue. Their academic team has also started discussion on how students could continue learning online or in other formats if schools are closed for a significant amount of time. Qualtrics announces that they will be postponing the X4 conference due to the current state of the coronavirus. The co-founder and CEO of Qualtrics addressed the 16,000 attendees via Twitter saying nothing is more important than the safety and health of our employees, customers, and partners. We've been monitoring the global developments surrounding the coronavirus day and night. They are set to reschedule for next fall and the new dates will be announced in the coming weeks on the X4 website. The Provo Police Department gives tips on preventing the risk of getting the coronavirus. Provo Police says to make sure you get enough sleep, eat nutritiously and stay physically active, and manage your stress levels. They will also advise to stay home if you are ill and avoid close contact with people. Cleaning with disinfectants and wiping surfaces that people have touched can reduce the risk of getting the virus. Recently sworn in Mayor Aaron Mendenhall gave her first State of the City speech. This is growth that we are going to shape, that we are going to drive. The address was held at the Menorlark Elementary School. The mayor remarked that 69% of the school's students are English learners, 70% of the kids are color, and overall the students speak 23 languages. Menonhall says those kids represent the Salt Lake City of tomorrow. A new chapter started in Utah history this week with the grand opening of the first medical cannabis pharmacy. However, patients are having trouble registering for medical marijuana cards through the state's new online portal. To compensate for the problem, the Utah legislature may pass a measure to allow patients the use of physician letters to make medical marijuana purchases. Cannabis advocates say the letter proposal would give the state time to polish the system. I feel for these people who live in the southwest part of Salt Lake County. What's next for Utah residents after the Olympia Hills development moves forward? The one-year survival rate for stage 4 pancreatic cancer patients is 18%. I'm very happy to report I have just reached that marker. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek opens up about one year of surviving pancreatic cancer treatment. Here, Bloomberg spent 500 million on ads, U.S. population 327 million. He could have given each American one million dollars and have had lunch money left over. Why bad math is putting MSNBC's Brian Williams and New York Times' Mara Gay in hot water. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more at studentaid.gov. The Salt Lake County Council votes yes to the controversial Olympia Hills development in Harriman. Kim Peterson was at the meeting. Hi, Kim. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Doing real good. So, Kim, how close of a vote was it? You know, it wasn't actually that close. They voted six to three in favor of the development. Wow. Shoot. With all the controversy around it, surrounding it, I thought it'd be a lot closer of a call. We thought so as well. And apparently a lot of the community members who attended the meeting last night, um, they weren't actually surprised. They were prepared um, to be outvoted. And they have also prepared to propose a referendum to oh. go against the movement. When would they start promoting that referendum and when would it uh, be on the ballot? So they're actually holding a press release tonight. Wow. And it's going to be at the Mountain Ridge High School in Harriman at 7 o'clock. Anyone is welcome to attend. They're welcome to wear red in favor of opposing the 
proposal. Mm-hmm. Well, so sh- we'll see what happens after that. Yikes. So looking at the data here, because of this current proposal, they're going to build 6,333 units of housing. So what kind of environment is that going to have on the community? So what the community is mainly worried about right now is there's not enough infrastructure to allow for that kind of density in that area. People are worried about how that's going to affect water. Currently, there's no plans for transportation for anyone living out there. Um, It's going to affect traffic. There's just going to be so many more people out there. Honestly, there's just not enough room. Yikes. It sounds like residents are very worried about it. They are, yes. You're about to cross a line of no return, and I'm here with a tiny glimmer of sad hope that two of you will somehow find the courage to do the right thing. Yikes. So how high were tensions during the meeting? Um, They got pretty intense. Um, After the vote was actually cast, there was a gentleman who stormed out of the room and a security guard had to follow him and stop him. But uh, several of the community members voiced that they were not being heard and that their elected officials were not doing their civic responsibility. That's very frightening. So as a member of uh, the Salt Lake County Council, Amy Winder-Newton is also running for uh, governorship in the state of Utah. Is this ruling likely to affect uh, her chances either way of getting elected? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't think it could hurt her is what I am trying to say. I think the community really supports her and appreciates her help, especially in this movement. She voted against the proposal, knowing what it would do to the community. As she's running, I think there will be plenty of people that will have her vote. Well, perfect. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Kim. Absolutely. Thanks. The Utah Senate passed a proposal to ban most abortions in the state. It was approved on a party-line vote after Democrats argued against the plan to make performing an abortion a felony. There are exceptions for case of rape, incest, or serious threat to the health of the woman. The proposal now moves to the House for consideration. An amended version of a bill sponsored by a Provo lawmaker regarding the disposal of fetal remains passed through the House. The amended proposal would give a woman who had miscarriages the option to choose a health care provider to dispose of the remains. According to the new amendment, women who choose to terminate their pregnancies must proceed with a cremation or burial. The bill will return to the Senate. A new bill in the Utah House requires abortion providers to provide ultrasounds has passed the Utah House Committee. House Bill 364 would require abortion providers to perform ultrasounds on women seeking abortions 72 hours before the procedure. It passed the committee by a vote of 6 to 5 Tuesday. A bill requiring gun show vendors in county facilities to run background checks on customers in Salt Lake County passed the Utah House of Representatives. The bill would prevent cities or counties from being able to work around the state's gun legislation. The bill will now move to the state Senate for consideration. A bill to create Utah Raptor State Park failed in the Senate Natural Resources Committee due to the lack of funding. The measure would have established the state park near Arches National Park to develop and preserve a dinosaur quarry and surrounding area. But the estimated $10 million cost of establishing the state park has held up the approval process. A Florida mom is furious because a school resource officer handcuffed her seven-year-old. The child with special needs had a meltdown in class when was sent to a mental health facility. The case in Clearwater is just one of several similar incidents that is drawing the attention of Florida lawmakers. Isabel Rosales has the details. Taisha Harmon wasn't exactly surprised when Belcher Elementary called her to let her know her son was having a meltdown. Her seven-year-old has severe anxiety and a mental disorder. But she was surprised by these marks on his wrist. You know, he's like, Mommy, they... I was handcuffed and 
and look what they did to my wrist. ABC Action News is not naming the child because of his age. But Harmon does want us to show his face. She thinks it's important in telling his story. Not only did you handcuff him, but you did it so tightly that it left marks on his hands. And he's seven. What, what's he going to do? Harmon says in the 20 minutes it took her to get to his school, he'd been arrested and taken to a mental health institution. It's very serious because nobody's kids should have to go through that. She believes a classroom change outside of his routine is what caused her son to act out. She questions why a school resource officer would handcuff a student so young in the first place. In Orlando, the six-year-old was zip-tied for acting out in class. And now Florida Senator Randolph Bracey's new bill would prohibit children under the age of 10 from being arrested or charged with a crime for childhood misbehavior. This mom thinks it's a good idea, but for now, she wants more training. They're there to, to help these kids, but for me, you're just doing damage. Pinellas County Schools issued a statement after the incident. They say the school resource officer acted appropriately because the child was a danger to himself and others. MSNBC anchor Brian Williams and the managing director of the New York Times are receiving criticism for some bad math. Um, somebody tweeted recently that um, actually with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. I've got it. Let's put it up yeah. on the screen. Bloomberg spent $500 million on ads. U.S. population, $327 million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American one million dollars and have had lunch money left over. The problem, according to the Twitter account at MathFridge, is this. Five hundred million dollars divided by three hundred twenty-seven million people is one dollar fifty-three cents. Five hundred million divided by three hundred twenty-seven million is not one point five million. This out on you! This on your cow! Twitter users were quick to leap onto the both of them to point out their error. At Emerald Robinson wrote, People are piling on Brian Williams, but let's be fair. Math can get really fuzzy when you're riding in a Chinook helicopter in Iraq that comes under imaginary RPG fire, and then you have an imaginary emergency landing. Neon Taster pointed out, it wasn't just Brian Williams and Mara Gay. There's a director, there's a producer, there's a graphics person. Either all of them are all dopes, or Brian Williams' staff really hates him. And finally, at Rufus King 1776 points out the saddest fact of all. All I know is Mike Bloomberg, Mara Gay, Makita Rivas, and Brian Williams owe me $1.52, but a bag of chips is $1.99. I'll take Jeopardy host for 400. He has hosted Jeopardy since 1984. He has recently been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer and he has beat the odds. Answer, who is Alex Trebek? With only an 18% chance survival rate in the first year of stage 4 pancreatic cancer, Alex Trebek has made it. He shared his emotional experience to fans through a Twitter post that currently has over 6 million views. Now I'd be lying if I said the journey had been an easy one. There were some good days, but a lot of not so good days. I joked with friends that the cancer won't kill me, the chemo treatments will. He continued to say he kept fighting because giving up would have been a betrayal of his wife, of other cancer patients, and of his faith in God and the millions of prayers that have been said on his behalf. As it can be expected, social media is flooded with support for the Jeopardy legend. User Bruce Green tweeted, Alex Trebek is not only a survivor, he is a role model. Jim Norton commented on Alex's strength by saying, Alex Trebek has more courage and dignity with stage 4 pancreatic cancer than I had with bronchitis. And user Krista endearingly posted, whether or not you're a fan of Jeopardy. If you're a fan of human courage, grace, and resilience, this man epitomizes all three. With a two-year survival rate of only 7%, Alex is determined to keep up the fight through another 365 days. 
Well, that's all for today's episode of the Newsline Review. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to my special guests, Brian Schott and Kim Peterson, for joining me today. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or Breaker, or wherever you can listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Matthew Loveman with the Newsline Review. Have a wonderful weekend.